All right, friends, we have been in the book of Exodus, and uh, Exodus is uh, this collection of beautiful stories. It's this incredible narrative that tells the story of God freeing his people from bondage. Uh, but in addition to the stories that Exodus tells, um, the book of Exodus and, and this narrative becomes this paradigm or this lens through which uh, biblical understanding, church history, we as a people come to understand a God who saves, a God who engages, a God who cares for the hurting and the impoverished. And so Exodus becomes this really important narrative in the life of the church and uh, this, this paradigm that's used throughout Scripture to understand the work that God is doing. And so in the beginning of the story, the Israelite people are enslaved in Egypt. They were there for just over 400 years, and um, at which time God raised up a man named Moses, and Moses was to come and free his people, Moses and his brother Aaron. Um, we saw powerful signs and miracles that God performed to, to demonstrate his power. We saw the 10 plagues that God brought on Egypt. At, at the backside of those, then the Egyptians uh, let the Israelite people go. And they head off into the desert. But again, in the character of Pharaoh, uh, he relents. He goes back on his word and he sends his army after the people of Israel. And uh, that's when God parts the Red Sea and the people walk through on dry land. And then as the uh, army of Pharaoh is passing through the sea, the waters come crashing in and the last of Egypt has been destroyed by the wickedness of this king and the plagues that came as a punishment. And so today we engage this new place in the story where Israel is now wandering through the desert. You'll see in a moment they're 45 days into their journey and guess what begins? The grumbling right? The complaints, all right? And we'll see it in the text. So let's dive in. Uh, we're in Exodus. Uh, we'll start in 1525. Our text is in Exodus 16, but we're going to start back just a little bit as there's a little precursor to the, to the narrative that we're going to read today. So Exodus 1525, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now we start with this little precursor that's a, precursor that's a little bit challenging uh, because it mentions God testing the people, right? Okay, you remember uh, in, in school, you remember tests, and I'm sure they were like your favorite part of school, right? We, we all loved the exams, the midterms and the finals, all that sort of thing. But what purpose did a, did a test serve in the context of school? Uh, generally, the test served the purpose of the instructor ensuring that the information that they're passing along is being understood and, uh, and, and that kids are able to reciprocate the information that they've been receiving, right? In the same way, we see here, um, God is going to test his people. And I want to draw a distinction. Sometimes we would kind of draw parallel lines between testing and tempting, uh, but that is not the case. I think it's important to say that elsewhere in Scripture, in James chapter 1, uh, it says, um, uh, when, you're, when you're tempted, don't think that God is doing it, because uh, God doesn't tempt people, nor is he tempted. So tempting and testing are two different things. Testing, as we'll read, uh, is God's process of asking, so where do your loyalties lie? 
That's the question he's going to be asking the Israelite people as they're wandering through the desert here. Um, Here in the text, uh, we won't read it today, but it also says that the people tested God, right? As they begin to question, so God, where are you and what role are you playing? So this word test has to do with where will loyalties lie is is what we're talking about. Okay, let's continue. Chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam. And came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 14th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So for you timeline people, uh, 14th day of the second month, remember God said Passover will be the beginning of your year. So we are some 45-ish days into their journey into the desert. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we set around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. All right, so in that narrative, um, you, you may see very clearly what's happening here. The Israelites become disgruntled very quickly in their journey, and they totally lose sight and perspective of what is now and what had been before. So last night was my um, 20-year reunion from uh, high school graduation, and, uh, and I went out to that, and it was um, okay. Is that, is that fair? It was okay. It was kind of awkward, but fun. You got to reconnect with some people. At any rate, uh, you, you know those people, and maybe it's you, I'm not teasing you if it is, but you know those people that say, uh, don't miss out on those years of your life because they're the best years of your life, right? They say that of high school or college, and maybe that was your experience. It was not my experience. Maybe it was your experience, but I always think when I hear people say that, like, don't you think you're forgetting some things? I mean, like the Israelites who 45 days later have forgotten, you know, all the challenges of slavery and the oppression and all the things of Egypt. Sometimes we just forget the realities of it. Because I have never heard anyone say, you know, man, those were the best years of my life because of all that acne I was dealing with, right? (laughs) Well, that's just long from our minds. So, you know, that, no, those are the best, you know, those are the best years of my life because I love midterms, right? No, we we, kind of just begin to omit all those other things that, 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 that were happening in that season. And the Israelites do exactly that, so they start to grumble. It was so much better in Egypt because we had meat. We had food. Verse 4, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go, uh, go out each day and gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we, Moses and Aaron, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. So God is going to bring provision, okay? God is going to to give the people what they want. And I think it's interesting here because um, notice it's born of grumbling. It's not born of request. It's not born of any sort of appropriate, like, God, these are our needs. Work with us. It's born of grumbling. And yet God answers 
out of mercy and in the affirmative, I will bring uh, what my people need. So I want to I wanna watch um, this flow here uh, for just a second. Um, I, I want to look at the way God has worked amongst his people. So God saves his people, right? He brings them out of Egypt. He frees them from slavery. He rescues his people. And then secondly, it mentions God tests his people, right? God says, I'm going to put in place uh, ways in which I will know where your loyalties lie. I will know what you are doing. Um, I, I will know if you are my people and following. And this is really important. God's commands and God's expectations of the Israelites are not random, arbitrary rules just to see what they'll do with them, right? But they are an invitation to a better way of life. This is really important, I think, for us to understand as we consider God's laws and the the fact that he does have expectations upon our lives, that God is inviting us to a better way of life. You know, because each of us has probably seen in our own lives, certainly in the lives of friends and other people, uh, what happens when we become so consumed by our own way and our own desires that, that we find ourselves running far down paths of destruction and harm in our own lives and the lives of people around us. And God is saying to his people, I have a better way for you. And I invite you to live in a better way. And so God tests his people. Will they choose my way? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like a parent who, uh, any of us that have raised children, we know what it's like to uh, have rules in place for our children, right? In this context, the Israelites have come saying, oh my goodness, we're so hungry. And as a parent, we know what that's like, right? Every day right after school or in the summer after a rest time in the afternoon, our kids come out of their room saying, I'm dying, right? I am so hungry. And depending on whether they say this to mom or dad, mom says, okay, there's carrot sticks in the refrigerator. And dad says, okay, go find something and have a snack, right? And then I come down a little bit later and you find them opening a second bag of chips or something like that. And you say, kid, how much do you need? Come on, think about this. And the problem with that scenario is that they begin to miss, uh, they, they, they begin to allow the snacks uh, to restrict their ability to enjoy the feast that is coming. Right, The difference in the snacks and the meal that is being prepared for them in a little while. And so parents put things in place saying, quit spending all your time snacking. You're going to fill yourself up and never get to enjoy the feast. And I just want to draw a spiritual parallel there for us uh, because quite often we live our, our lives uh, just taking in the snacks and never moving towards the deeper things of God right? Never never moving towards the feast that he is preparing. We find ourselves so caught up in the little things, the snacks. And so God puts guidelines and things in place that allow us to move towards the feast. And we'll talk about it by the end here today. Uh, God provides then. God rescues his people. He tests his people. And then he provides for his people. And I think that's an interesting order. Uh, their salvation has come. They have been freed uh, from slavery in Egypt. God puts uh, tests in place for them, um, says, where will your loyalty, loyalties lie? And then at that point, as they begin to demonstrate their loyalty to God, um, provisions come. So this will be the quail, the meat that they can eat, the bread that they can eat, that their families will be okay and survive. And then finally, 
uh, the people experience abundance. And I wanted to find that abundance in two ways. Uh, the abundance has to do uh, with the food that they received, uh, but also with this next piece of the text, which I think is beautiful, uh, abundance in their relationship with God. Abundance in relationship and opportunity to be near to God. So in verse 21, uh, each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So God invites his people to this place of Sabbath rest. And I want to notice very clearly in that progression um, that uh, the Sabbath rest is born out of God's salvation and his provision. Does that make sense? I, I don't think I'd, I've seen this uh, or realized this for long in my life, maybe until these last few months in studying this text. But Sabbath, uh, this is the first time it's going to be mentioned in Scripture, the first time God will invite his people to this day of Sabbath rest is born directly from his salvation and his provision. I will provide for you so abundantly that you can find Sabbath rest. Okay, uh, in um, Exodus 31, later on, God's going to be um, God's going to be describing Sabbath a little bit more and what it is. And in, in Exodus 31:16, it says the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrate it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Okay, now some of us might have questions about uh, his use of the days of creation. Some of Christendom believes in a literal seven-day creation. Uh, others believe um, that to be more a metaphor and an idea about who created than specifically the timelines and the how of that conversation. But I did want to pull this text in because I think it's really cool um, how uh, he describes his Sabbath, how he describes a God who rested and was refreshed. And Sabbath becomes linked to this idea of rest and refreshment in life, okay? In a, in a, so in our text today, let's go back to that uh, progression that we saw um, yeah, so God rescues his people, right? God tests his people. He, he puts things in place for them to uh, demonstrate their loyalty to him. God provides for his people, and out of the abundance that God has blessed them with, people experience Sabbath rest. People experience the abundance of God. So I want to take those four, four points, and I, I just want to, um, kind of in our application and conclusion, what, what in the world do we do with a text like this in our lives? How does it affect me? And I want to look at those in our lives. God is a God who rescues, right? And most of us that have come to faith in Jesus uh, have had some sort of experience in life, uh, some sort of addiction or challenge or problem that caused us to finally call out to God, you know? Uh, I, I need a Savior. And in that, we have found 
God to be one who rescues, right? But that's not all of our stories. That's not the only way the narrative goes. It's not always some drastic turn of events. Like some of us grew up in Christian households and just kind of continued to consider God and faith throughout our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do want to, I do want to point out that we've all been rescued from something right? None of us in and of ourselves are, are perfect or holy or worthy, right? And, and yet God has rescued us, redeemed us, and made us new people, given us new life in him. So God is a God that rescues in our context, not just out of Egypt for the, for the Israelite people, but God is a God that has rescued us, and that rescue has been accomplished in Jesus, and God tests. Now, this is, again, a tricky one. We don't love the idea of tests. We didn't like them in school, and we don't always like the idea of them in any other aspect of life. But remember, the question that's being asked is, will you choose my better way, right? God is inviting us to a better way of life, to avoid some of the tragedy and the struggles that that come with, like a, like a parent telling your child, don't touch the hot burner, don't touch the stove, right? But there's consequence if that child does, doesn't listen to it. And God is saying, I want you to avoid pitfalls in life. I want you to know a better way and a more full life. So, and then God provides. Now, I think it's interesting in the text that as God provided for the Israelites, notice it was a day-by-day thing. Because here's the reality, God has rescued us, our, our, our hope and our salvation is secure in him. If we have given our life to Jesus, if we have chosen to follow in his way, yet uh, we still have challenges and problems in life, right? It's like uh, it, like the Israelites, we get the choice between, well, do I grumble, right? Do I just get angry about it and point fingers at other people? Uh, or do I go to the loving Father that has invited me into new life, into a new place, right? And uh, so we continue to have these troubles. And, we, and the best posture is to go before God asking for his provision, right? Saying, God, I am in need. But what's fascinating about that, the text today is that it was just daily provision, right? It was small pieces. And some of us here today are probably in one of those difficult seasons of life, in one of those seasons where we are in need of God's help and provision. And sometimes God will just remove those problems from life. And let's pray for that, right? But quite often in life, certainly in my experience, I've noticed that the problems aren't always immediately removed. And so we find ourselves praying like God brought manna and quail each day to the Israelite people. God, give me today my daily bread, right? Give me the grace and ability to walk through this day. You remember Jesus' prayer uh, as he's teaching his uh, disciples to pray? He says, give me today my daily bread. And I wonder if, if that's yet another allusion to this text, this story of what God is doing as he is redeeming uh, his people and bringing them into a new life. So God provides. And, and I want to mention that, uh, you know, the abundance that Israel experienced, uh, we are a people of abundance, are we not? I mean, from the richest to the poorest of us here, uh, live on standards much of the world could not even fathom or dream of or, or, or hope to attain, right? We are people of abundance. And abundance can be a risky thing. Um, in, in the lives of Israel, the Israelites, over and over again, when things are going well, 
they lose sight of God. And it's only in those desperate moments that they finally come clawing back to him. And friends, though we live in abundance, I think we can do better than that, right? I think we can be those people that, that continue to keep focused on God. And let me also say that our abundance is not designed exclusively for our own desires and passions, but that God invites us out of an abundance to be his hands and feet in this world, a blessing to people in the world around us. Um, some of the wealthiest people that I know are also the very most generous people that I know in life. And that's a rare trait, uh, but that's a beautiful thing. And each of us, in our own abundance, in our own opportunity, get to consider what generosity and thankfulness to God look like in our lives. And then finally, the, the fourth piece, God has rescued us, he's tested us, he provides for us, and that provision invites us to rest. It is God's salvation and his provision that invites us into a deeper, penetrating rest in our lives. Now, I don't know what rest looks like for you. I think we can misunderstand this word quite easily. Um, Often, uh, I know in my life, maybe for many of us, we mistake rest with escape. Uh, So that looks for me like a bag of pita chips and Netflix, right? Let me just say, this is not true rest, right? Uh, that's escape for a moment, right? It's a way to shut down our minds, and maybe it's a way to unwind. None of that is necessarily wrong, uh, but it is not the rest, the Sabbath rest that God is going to describe for us. You know, Sarah and I, in our pastoral work, um, have had to work hard to find Sabbath to find rest when so much that we do is um, is pouring into church and engaging scripture. Sometimes that just kind of suffices for um, my own spiritual walk and journey with God. And let me say that's kind of just the snacks, right? It's not the Sabbath place of rest where I, where I truly get to feast on the goodness of God. It, it's, it's not that deeper level and, and personal connection to God that's so vital. And so Sarah and I have worked hard on what Sabbath looks like in our lives. And I'd encourage each of us today to consider what does Sabbath rest look like in your life? What does it look like to rest and find refreshment in the Lord? Right? Sometimes we'll suffice for the snacks, you know, the uh, listening to Christian radio as we drive in our car, uh, the attending church, or things like that. But let me just say, it goes far deeper. And God has for us a feast prepared to know his goodness and his love. And in prayer and in meditation and in nature and in conversation with friends, we are invited to know so much more of a God that loves us to experience the feast that he is preparing. So I want to encourage us today as an application and and just a challenge as we go forward in the week. I ask you, consider what does Sabbath look like in your life in the week to come? What does it look like to find a place of rest and restoration in life that revolves around a Heavenly Father that is inviting you into personal relationship? It's going to feel awkward if you choose to actually do something like this, right? Uh, you know, in, in so many of our um, thought processes and just workaholic culture, it's going to feel like, man, there's so much I have to be doing right now. 
But let me just say, I'm not sure there's anything more important that we could be doing than finding in some way, shape, and form in our week or our month, however you want to work this out, a place to rest, to be restored, to then approach life from a different perspective, knowing that God has been working in me, right? And God desires to work through me in the world. So friends, I just want to invite us today to know that God has rescued us, or the invitation is available. God's rescue is at hand. Um, God has provided for us, and out of that abundance and provision, God invites us to feast in his presence. God invites us to rest and restoration in him. Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for a time that we get to engage your word. Um, Father, we thank you for um, a story in Exodus that's remarkable in nature, but Father has remarkable implications and invites us to beautiful things in our lives. Father, help us to be those that are grateful for your salvation and for um, your provisions in life. And Father, out of that, Help us to engage more deeply. Father, help us to know Sabbath rest in our lives. Help us to sit and be still with you. And Father, in that, we pray that you will just um, pour into us such a beautiful outpouring of your spirit that we will know uh, more of your love, that we will know more of your grace, that we will know more of the life that you're inviting us into in this world. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.